Who runs the world? The sun? How many stars are there in the universe? Like one, 1,000 or something like that? What is the very best cookie? Chocolate chip. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what is the secret for happiness? Smiles. That's a good one. Will there be peace on Earth? Yes. I'm from here. Here's the story. Welcome back to the Townies Podcast. I am Kim Maxwell, and I am a Townie. I'm a Townie who loves other people's stories. I teach a weekly writing and performance workshop here in my ridiculously small fishbowl of a town nestled in the foothills of Ventura County. And for 25 years, the raw and vulnerable musings of my brilliant and courageous students have sent me home filled with hope. Some of my beloved students are seasoned professionals. Some have never even been on a stage before. But there they are, up in front of a live audience, flinging themselves and their brand new words into the abyss. Their reward? They have been heard. They matter. Their words matter. And the audience? Well, they have just officially been granted permission to do the same. To go out there somewhere and take a big old risk. And that is the sacred exchange between terrified storyteller and gracious audience member. Permission. I love people's stories because stories are what connect us. This is the Townies Podcast. Welcome to the neighborhood. Episode 9 Kids These Days. First story Hating a Misogynist, written and performed by Seamus Morrison. Breathtakingly earnest, Seamus became a fan favorite at the Ojai Playwrights Conference this summer for his ability to speak to the underdog in everyone. Seamus is a smart and sassy high school senior who hates bullies and loves his cat, Danny Boy. I've hated many people on and off throughout my life and all have had in common the fact that they were extremely stubborn, arrogant, and good at making fun of me in some way or another. It takes a lot out of a person to hate, especially when you hate with a fiery passion. You can not only end up burning the person you hate with this fiery passion, but you can burn yourself too. But I don't give a shit. (laughs) It's the price you are willing to pay to get rid of this sponger on your back. (laughs) That is, if you're in your right mind. Besides, I like fire. It's pretty hard to choose someone that stands above them all in terms of the asshole hierarchy. (laughs) 
but I guess I will go with the soulless motherfucker. <laughs> the erotic man whore. <laughs> and the vain sex organ. Yes, it's all one person that has been stealing all the pretty girls in my thoughts for the past two years. Well, this little goody two-shoes has had enough of his bullshittery. <laughs> it's time for some change around this place. And if I ever see him again, I'll tell him how I feel. For as long as I've known him, I've been obsessed with getting him back for all he's done. I've been caught in a cycle of eat or be eaten, and holding on to this son of a bitch is doing me no good. <laughs> he is leaving the school next year. Hooray! Good riddance and go jump off a fucking cliff. <laughs> I wrote a touching message in every single kid's yearbook on the last day of school, and all I gave him was a scribble followed by my name in my niece's print. <laughs> hating him has pretty much become an obsession. I even got my mom to hate him with me. <laughs> There's so much to hate about him, and I love it all. He's a surfer dude, not the kind that loves and respects the ocean, but one of the ones that spends all their time bragging about what a badass they are. Tim, a four-foot wave, is a ten-foot wave. So, he sizes up waves the same way as relationships. He doesn't do sports at school. He surfs instead, and actually takes time off from school to do it. He gets excused absences to go pollute the ocean. The goofy fucker. <laughs> He's probably really never accomplish anything except surf gnarly waves and swing is perfect dude. He's so perfect. He has too much testosterone. He's a real ladies man. He's the father of all motherfuckers. <laughs> he has more ex-girlfriends than I have curse words and obscene phrases on this page and in my mind combined. I have long memories of him strolling around school with his arm around a girl and always a different one too. He was never together enough to keep a girlfriend. And there was so much hugging and showing off male dominance, which I guess is typical of any high school pair. But he just took objectification of the opposite sex to its limits, and it made me sick. Unfortunately, I recognize him one day, and it's on a bridge above some lake. His boy band face just had to stick with me over the years. <laughs> He looks calm, for once not horny. <laughs> and he isn't with a girl, which is a relief for someone that can sympathize as easily with boys as he can with girls. Noticing that he has no sexual counterpart to fill his empty husk, I go up to talk to him. I walk up slowly, because the fear of the supernatural that I possessed in high school was still there. But then, surprisingly, I see him get up on the railing and stop mid-step. How someone so high in life could have a desire to end their own life escapes me. 
Maybe it's because all the pretty girls are now mature and realize he's a total loser. <laughs> Maybe it's because he's still a high schooler at heart and everybody else has had enough of his flirting ways. Maybe it's because he's still stuck in our common clusterfuck of the past, just as I thought he would be. There's no doubt in my mind that he's going to jump, and as hard as it is, I suppress my death wishes towards him. I shout his name at the top of my lungs and tell him to get off the railing. Damn it, my humanity gets the best of me again. <laughs> I almost stop myself from doing so, as if I was still running from him and his gang. But I'm not. My body had caught up with my mind, and now it was time to live on the outside. Like trying to save a fallen child, I hold out my arms to him, hoping he had changed after high school as most others do, and say, here, hold on to me instead. You were listening to Seamus Morrison. Freed at Last, written and performed by Doug Green. An avid social justice ambassador and enviable party thrower slash martini maker, Doug and his spectacular collection of bow ties are the most sought-after resources in all of Ventura County. Ready? Okay! Give me an F! F! Give me an R! R! Give me an E! E! Give me an E! E! Give me a D! D! What's that spell? Free! Thank you. It's the fall of 1968. It's Nixon versus Humphrey, Jane Fonda versus the establishment, <laughs> Muhammad Ali versus the draft board, and me, Doug Green, teen fashion icon, versus an entire army of boys in plaid flannel, down vests, and chukka boots. <laughs> I'm going what I like to refer to as my monochromatic moment. I have solid brown days, I have pale yellow days, blue days, green days. I even have an outfit that is entirely mauve, because as we all know, mauve is oh so courant. I make an exception only on game days, or as I like to say, gay days, when I wear the school colors maroon and gold in a get-up I like to think that a boy cheerleader would wear if boy cheerleaders were allowed, which sadly they're not. Approaching my first year in junior high, my attitude can only be characterized as optimistic, in stark contrast with the way I felt a year ago, thinking about what life would be like at, fear, uh, at Freed, where feelings of fear and dread got the best of me. Mark Olson's older brother tells us that the Mexican kids at Freed roam the halls in small packs. They carry switchblades and they put razor blades in the toes of their shoes. But when I get to Freed, I don't immediately notice any roving gangs of Mexicans. And so I fall back to what has gotten me this far, niceness. From the first weeks of seventh grade, dressed to the nines and armed with a disarming smile and my trusty thesaurus, <laughs> I am friendly with everyone. Not friends, but friendly. I 
make it a point to smile and acknowledge everyone, even people that I have no intention of talking to. <laughs> Benny Espinoza is just such a person that I smile and nod to on my way through English class until one day he catches me at my locker after class. Now, Benny Espinoza is just the sort of stereotypical Mexican that populates the pristine Presbyterian imagination, <laughs> only somehow shorter. He has these dark brown eyes and jet black hair and this amazing olive-colored skin that, frankly, I can't take my eyes off of. Seriously, I've never seen a boy or a man with skin like that. Anyway, he's talking to me, or at least, at least his lips are moving. But I'm not hearing a word because I'm too busy checking the toes of his shoes for razor blades <laughs> and trying to figure out what he really wants. Is he trying to sell me a bag of weed? Is he calling me out? I imagine all kinds of Spanish language slurs against my mother. <laughs> but Benny doesn't know any of this. All he sees is this blank look I get when I'm up in my head writing someone else's lines. <laughs> He doesn't know about the look yet, and it's a little unsettling until you get used to it. <laughs> Give me your locker combination is actually the first thing I hear him say. And it takes me aback. Excuse me? Why? Why would I do that? And he actually looks hurt. Like he might just walk away and leave me standing there, which actually might be the best thing that could happen. <laughs> But then he decides to give me a second chance, and he says, as I was saying, my locker is on the other side of the school. If we share lockers, we'll both have a locker on each side of the school. I know you've got classes over there. I've seen you in the upstairs hall with a shitload of books. If you give me your locker combination, I'll give you mine. Oh, and that is how I came to have two lockers at Freed for my entire three years there. Each fall, Espinoza and I trade combinations and move into our lockers together. This is our relationship. We only see each other at our lockers and in class, but I know Benny Espinoza has my back. And there are other benefits, too. Having a locker near everything means we can focus on the important things in life, like moving up the junior high school pecking order. <laughs> we both do okay. We have different friends, but we both have friends in our own part of Freed that we own completely. Benny Espinosa owns the crunchy red track. He's a track star even in eighth grade. He also owns the hallways where he has this athletic swagger. In the school auditorium, my fellow thespians and I <laughs> produce performances that are this blend of laugh-in skits, beat poetry, and the totally silly antics of Bert Bronson, who can fart on demand. <laughs> Bert and I and the rest of the drama set are persona non grata everywhere else, but with the house lights down and the stage lights up, we rule. I'm working on a dramatic reading based on the transformation of Cassius Clay into Muhammad Ali. Cassius Clay is a slave name. Muhammad Ali, which means beloved of God, is my free name. I work on the Ali shuffle and even try to throw a left jab, right hook combo while I recite Ali's poetry. Float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. The scariest part, though, is getting from class to class, 
The halls are fine if I'm in a group of my friends or standing at one of my lockers with Espinoza, but early in my ninth grade year, walking in the alone in the halls puts me at risk. Enter Rodney Ireland, a Hitler youth in plaid flannel. <laughs> Rodney has four inches on me, more swagger than Benny Espinoza, and a totally foul mouth that he doesn't hesitate to use on me. At first, he's fairly subtle. Hey, sister, you want to go on a date with me? Which is mortifying enough, but then it escalates. Sometime after Christmas breaks, he starts using the F word, and I am not talking about what Lady Chatterley did with the gamekeeper. <laughs> Although he uses that too, I'm talking about faggot. Rodney starts referring to me as faggot, or the big fag, or later, the freshman fag, in a stairwell or from atop the radiator near my homeroom. Coach Tomlinson, my homeroom teacher and the boys' PE coach, watches me slink past Rodney and suppresses a smirk. We call Tomlinson Tom Tom. He's a former halfback for the Cleveland Browns, and he seems to enjoy my daily discomfort. I'm thinking, hello, Tom Tom. Aren't you supposed to be the adult in this situation? Say something! But I just smile and wonder if my veneer of Presbyterian niceness is wearing thin. By the spring of 71, I'm on the verge of breaking out of the prison that's junior high and busting into the jail that will be high school. <laughs> I start taking weightlifting and at the end of ninth grade, the combination of hormones and hard work start to pay off, but I actually don't think anyone has noticed. Until this super cute guy in gym class jumps on top of me in the high jump pit. Josh Anderson, I think Josh noticed. I should probably say something like, dude, what the heck are you doing? Or, hey, knock it off. But I don't, I, I just lay there basking in the moment. <laughs> Until Coach Tom Tom says, hey, Anderson, leave the squirrels alone. What have I told you about feeding the wildlife? And this is the way it is at the ironically named Free Junior High, where lives are either locked up tight or unleashed with a vengeance that hits you square in the chest and then grinds its bony pelvis into you. It's March 8, 1971, the day after Joe Frazier defeated Muhammad Ali in a decision that I will always consider to be a fluke. The school day is painful, Benny Espinoza meets, us at, meets me at our East Wing locker and says, I see your guy got whooped last night. I know it hurt to see Ali's pretty face all lopsided like that, which is enough to make my stomach hurt all over again. I'm not really good with boxing. I, even though I love Ali, the blood makes me sick, like, like throw up sick. Between weightlifting and lunch, kids gather in tight knots in front of the school. I sidle up to a couple of cheerleaders who are talking about who they hope will ask them to thunderball the next school dance. <laughs> the head cheerleader, Margaret Moran, is telling Karen Jones how much she hopes a boy named Joshua will ask her out. She thinks he's been hinting. He follows me in the upstairs hall between fourth and fifth period. I think he's totally checking me out. And you know, I can see it because that cheerleading outfit is designed to make boys crazy. I wonder to myself, if they're talking about the Joshua I know, 
the same Josh who recently jumped on me in the high jump pit. And I'm not really standing with them, but I'm close enough so that if you saw us from a distance, you'd think we were together. And I must have laughed at the possibility that Margaret's Josh and my Josh might be one and the same, because suddenly they noticed me standing there. Ah, uh, Doug, hi. I didn't see you there. What's up? Oh, just standing here, hoping to get noticed, because I always get super stupid when I see someone wearing an outfit that I want. <laughs> and that is when Margaret comes to my rescue with a bright smile and her complete attention. Oh, baby boy, can I give you some advice about that? Margaret Moran is giving me advice. I have arrived at the very top of the junior high school pecking order. <laughs> Go home and change. Slacks and matching cardigan sweaters are girl clothes. Get some jeans and start dressing like a boy. <sighs> I slip away and check the menu for lunch. Chili Mac. Not my favorite, <laughs> but something to fill the void. Later, Ronnie perches in his usual spot atop the radiator outside the auditorium. Today, he addresses the passing throng with his deep, booming voice. Hey, folks, here comes Doug Green dressed like a big green fairy. And that's when my whole day flashes before me. The smug tom-tom, the unsolicited advice of the head cheerleader, Ali's defeat, and now this. Suddenly, I feel sick. I, I feel like the way I do before I'm about to throw up, the bile is collecting and concentrating in my stomach. I am struggling to keep my lunch down, struggling against that inevitable moment when violence robs me of control. Tears form in my eyes and one rolls down my cheek. I cross the hall, pushing past the group that's gathered to watch the Rodney Show. It's like this sometimes. A little crowd gathers for the Rodney Show. And the last thing I remember Rodney saying is, Oh, look, I think I made her cry. And then someone's left fist sails past my ear and connects with Rodney's dimpled chin. He looks surprised as someone grabs his ears in each hand and slams his head against the great tile wall behind him. His eyes flutter close and he slides off the radiator and lands in a heap at my feet and a chorus behind me shouts, FIGHT! FIGHT! That jars me back to reality. I notice Rodney's bloody headprint on the tiles above the radiator and I realized they're shouting about me. Those were my hands and suddenly I lean forward and watch my chili Mac sail through the air and land with a splat on Rodney's plaid chest. I am suspended for two weeks following what will become known in my family as my short-lived career as a common thug. I call the hospital to make sure Rodney's okay and his mother tells me that he'll fully recover. He'll pretty much be the same old Rodney, which gives me pause. <laughs>
I relived the fight blow by blow with one astonished family friend after another. Bored after the first week, I take a shopping trip to Denver. The extra long spring break goes by too quickly, and the first day back at school is awkward. I really don't know what to expect. My dad drops me off at Freed on his way to work, and as I go in, I'm not surprised to see a small crowd is formed in the hallway near my locker, and I'm not happy to note that hot Josh Anderson is among them. <laughs> at the center of the gathering, Benny Espinoza is putting the final touches on a makeshift vertical banner tape to the front of my locker that says, Welcome back! with a huge exclamation point. Benny spots me standing at the edge of the crowd, and he breaks into a huge grin. Hey, look! There's Cassius now! <laughs> Please, call me Ali. Cassius is a slave name. <laughs> And that was Doug Green. When the Townies podcast continues, Kirsten Hoy and Fabio Loretta. And Andrew Berkovitz. And now, Eva Bataya Mann with her song, Fall Down. Eyes open, today is the day, the sky. To learn more about the artists and music featured on today's podcast, visit thetowniespodcast.org. Next, we have Costco, written and performed by Kirsten Hoy and Fabio Loretta. A dancer, singer, actress, triple threat, Kirsten has starred in nearly all of the Nordoff High School plays over the last four years while maintaining her stellar GPA. Fabio is a five-language-speaking, tennis-championing musician with a newfound love of writing. Lucky, lucky, lucky for us. I love Costco. <laughs> Costco, man. It's a whole different world in there. Mom always brings me with her, and I can get free samples. And everything is so big and shiny and it's been a long, long time since I've seen my mom and dad. <laughs> oh, look! A penny! I can put it in my pocket. And I don't know 
how long the food sample supplies will last. <laughs> hey! A chocolate sample stand? I get so excited from just looking at the Kirkland Signature red and white checked tablecloth. <laughs> I'm in the trail mix and laundry quadrant. <laughs> Everything that I see, the name Kirk, Kirk, Kirk Kirkland. Must be the person in charge. The nice lady with the hairnet and plastic gloves smiles and hands me two samples because I said please, just like Mom always said to do. Where is Mom? 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 Oh no, she's gone! What am I going to do? I miss my family. <laughs> I have to find her as fast as possible. I need to plan a strategy. I will run up and down the aisles calling to her and she will hear me and come running. My feet are growing tired from walking in such a luxurious place. But I know that my if my Buzz Lightyear light on my shoe keeps shining, I will find my way out. One flashy step at a time. Wait. What if... What if she left me on purpose? What if she doesn't want me anymore and I have to live at Costco forever? I don't want to live at Costco forever! Oh. My head is confused. The floor is gray and there are no windows! Machines clinking, footsteps shuffling, varying in length, loud talking, Mom, I wish you would come back and find me next to the chocolate sample stand with the Kirkland signature red and white checked tablecloth. I want to go home. Costco isn't fun anymore without you. When all hope was lost. <gasps> Wait, what was that? That's my name. That's my name on the loudspeaker. The heavens called out. <laughs> Hi, people on the loudspeaker. They know my name, and I'm not alone. I'm supposed to go to the front. Okay! My extraction team arrives. There she is! Mom, I found you! You just heard from Kirsten Hoy and Fabio Loretta. Numbers two through 759, written and performed by Andrew Berkowitz. A long, tall glass of delightful and relatable awkwardness and the son of Jeanette from episode three. Andrew graduated from my teen class last year and took a flying leap across the Atlantic to spend his first year of college on Rotary Exchange in his mother's homeland of Switzerland. We are all so proud. you. Fuck you, Mr. Bullshit Valedictorian. Yeah, that's right. Fuck you, Mr. Student Body President, Captain of the Varsity Football Team, Straight A Student. Fuck you, Mr. Wear Number One. <laughs> you may be number one, but the rest of us are number two through 759. <laughs> expect success, expect the best. What the hell kind of a school motto is that? 
Sounds more like one of those bullshit college essay prompts. Come on, don't look at me like that. We've all written that essay. With the right mindset, you can do anything. Blah, 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 blah. Well, that's just not true, is it? I'm not the valedictorian, am I? So I guess you can't always get everything you want. Maybe sometimes you're the guy who falls 58 times just trying to get on and up the soccer field. Or the guy who splits his head open on a rock at school beach day. Or maybe you're the guy who bends over to tie his shoes and his backpack goes over his head and drags him down the bleachers at the pep rally. Or maybe you're the guy who tries to catch up with his friends on the ski slope and ends up against a pole with both skis off, struggling to get out of a hole that's less than one foot deep while everyone on the channel from up laughs their asses off. Maybe you're that guy. But you're not that guy, are you? You're that... Uh, you're that person who has never had anything go wrong for them. You have a nice hair, a nice car, and a nice 5.0 GPA. But guess what? You can't go through your whole life without failing. I'm not saying I hope you fail. I, I really don't care. I'm, I'm just saying it's inevitable. At some point, you're going to fail. And what are you going to do when you fail? Because I know exactly what I'll do. I'll pull myself back up like I've done a thousand times before. Uh, but you... I feel sorry for you. Your perfection might look pretty, but it's not sustainable. So who's the loser now? Wait, there's the security, so it's me. Okay. Anyway, time to change your motto, buddy. You might be temporarily perfect, but I am motherfucking resilient. So when everything comes crashing down for you, text me. I'll give you some tips. Fail early, fail often. Andrew Berkovitz. I'm from here. Here's the story. Please join us every other Tuesday for a new round of freshly minted stories. I am Kim Maxwell of Kim Maxwell Studio, and we teach people to launch their stories loudly and unapologetically into the world to laugh more, risk more, and have bigger lives. The Townies Podcast is co-produced by Lily Brown, Asa Larmonth, and Ken Eros. Studio engineering and mixing by Eros Creative and Sound. The Townies theme song was written and performed by Rain Perry, recorded and mixed by Martin Young, and mastered by Mark Hallman at the Congress House. The Townies Podcast is in part made possible by a generous grant from the Ojai Arts Commission and the City of Ojai, a small town with big stories. You can find out more about us at thetowniespodcast.org. Thank you for listening. This is the last one. The creator of the podcast I'm working on says that the outtakes are too long, but I think they're just right. How do I let her know she's not the big boss of me without getting fired? You tell her that I made that she yeah, that you made it right and she'll agree with you and boom. <laughs> that good. That's good. <laughs>